Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 21. In this episode, my friends and I start a conversation about divorce. This is almost certainly going to wind up being a two, if not a three-part series, and we'll record the other parts in the future. But while we do talk about some of the cultural effects, specifically of no-fault divorce in Western culture, what we're really after here is an answer to the question that would go like this. If we were only to look at the scriptures, what sets of circumstances, if any, would give grounds for divorce? And what sets of circumstances, if any, would qualify a divorced person for remarriage? Again, we're seeking to only use the text of scripture to answer that question. It does get kind of technical, but... If this is something that you're interested in, think that we have some really worthwhile things expressed in this conversation. Give it a listen. I hope you enjoy. All right. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you all doing? (laughs) Is that meant to be a deeper question? It is as deep as you'd like to go, my friend. Uh, not really much different from last time we recorded. Which wasn't no, very I'm... different from the other time. And yeah. I tend to remain pretty good. You have a stable life. <laughs> I feel that way, at That's least. Good. I try to remain stable emotionally, at the very least. Mm. Nice. I think that makes you a four. <laughs> I would say Sam's a ten. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. 10 oh, out of thank nine. you. That's that's. Anyway, no. Okay. Well, we'll put a pin in that one and, and uh, do it another time. Which I'm Anybody not else? that though. I'm not what okay. I thought I was going to okay. be. But anyway, that's that's for next time. My bad. Uh, anyone else want to say that they're doing the same as last time? Yeah, I'm. I'm there. I'm actually doing better. Better than last time. Yes. So you're not going to pick a fight over whether the Incredible Hulk oh. is... Um, I would like to no, say... No, I definitely will. I, I took... if, if it's about Marvel, everything is on the table. I took... In honor of Marvel. We do have a lot on I went right home now. and I was like, am I looking at things wrong? And I was talking to Amanda about it and she's like, where is he at with the... I, like, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> Wait, cool. First of all, like in all honesty, it's not that serious of a thing. I just wanted to freaking argue about something. This man went home and talked to his wife about <laughs> yeah, your we had we had like a like like you know when we're sitting opinion. down and evaluating like how's our marriage going, how's our life going, how's our budget doing. How's this Eric's is what Eric thinks. On the this, it was right up there. Is this a real conversation? No, oh. no. We well we did actually have that conversation, but we actually don't sit down. I, I would say that's oh, an ongoing that's process always. The bi-weekly weigh-in. Yeah, like it's pretty cool. No, but it's Marvel. Like just argue about stupid things because it's never going to be a smart. <laughs> conversation in that sense but Uh, one thing i did reflect on was we talked about like our favorite marvel movie but not our favorite marvel character and we should get we should we should like just round like round the table like two seconds this is our icebreaker yeah Um, all right okay so start i'd say cap okay the hat in the marvel movies cat in the hat (laughs) i haven't really thought about it but i did really like uh tony stark okay not iron man though no. no. Different, different people. 
By the way, uh, you remember Mythbusters, that show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy, not the walrus-looking guy, the other <laughs> Adam one. Adam Savage. Yeah, he made an Iron Man suit, and he tested it against bullets and stuff. It's incredibly bulletproof. The Incredible Iron Man? Yeah, the Incredible Iron Man. Wait, it's not Rocket. Rocket Raccoon. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, okay. He's my favorite Guardian. Yeah. I'm not getting into that. Sorry. Um, Eric? You just say it. Remember, you I said, like, you have two, two one is correct but... for Eric, and the other is just, like, what you want it to be. <laughs> what? Okay, I was debating between Thor and, and Drax. But I think I'm going to end up with Thor, but wrong. I think Drax. How come he's going to this is wrong? I think, I, I think Eric's actual one is Drax. Like, Drax is so great. Mm, I think Drax just resonates with Eric. Oh. I don't know, I really <laughs> like Thanos. I found the sociopath. <laughs> Actually, it, it's really tough between Voltron. Uh-huh. Oh, he still wins. <laughs> or Spider Man. Yeah. Wait, but Vulture overall is the favorite. Yeah, character. that's yeah. what I said. Is I feel like if I have He's... to pick a favorite MCU, I, I would need to pick someone who's recurring. And so for that matter, I would go with either Vision or Doctor Strange. I think. <laughs> But like, but Vulture's Travis, your favorite. Because... He's my favorite villain and favorite actor, and I. Was I, I it, but I still. Because of portrayal, or because of like I, the I character. I still love the character. Okay. Yeah, but I don't think you can really be a favorite character if you're only in one movie. Well, no, I was I was guys. asking because I know you love Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton. and yes. and his portrayal was far and above excellent. Any, but I wasn't sure if it was like, yeah, that's what takes the cake for me. If it was like, no, I really. No, I like the character too. Vulture himself. Yeah. Samwise? Uh, in the so for the films, Tony Stark was always my favorite. Mm. Um, can I have a secondary answer since since yeah, the like everybody else things? said too. Oh yeah, go um, ahead. I I think now Doctor Strange will probably be my favorite. Yes. I do really love Thor and Spider Man, but Sp- even though Spider Man's my like, like ultimate favorite superhero, in the movies not as much. So I I think right now Doctor Strange <clears throat> will probably become my new favorite. Okay. Kyotor. My two favorite MCU heroes. Um, I would say Ant Man. Like, even though I did say that was my favorite MCU movie. Um, like, like Ant Man's character. Like, you know, he's able to shrink and then grow big, and that he can go to different universes, similar to Doctor Strange, but he approaches a different way. Second favorite, I would say, Spider Man. You like insects. Yeah, ants, well, ants and spiders. Well, well arthropods. Arthropods. Yeah, yeah. I actually really nobody said that. nobody said Shark Boy or Lava Girl. Was that supposed to be a Joker to know? That's supposed to be a Joker. <laughs> Isn't that from Kids by Kids or something? No, I think it's made by the same people. Guillermo like, del Toro. Yeah. Oh. They're making a a sequel to Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miguel, with first finally. of all, why do you know that? And second of all, why does our audience now know that? Uh, but I'm but not, it's not it's. It's like their parents now, and like the, their kids are like, I don't know, Good. lava shark and lava shark and know. girl boy. <laughs> yeah, girl boy. I don't know. <laughs> it's very forward thinking. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my god. Uh, well, actually, so, Stanley. Mm. Okay. Stan Lee. Well, he does which, actually play a character, character in almost though? every. Yeah. yeah, he plays different characters every time. What if he's the same? Because that's a theory. Wait, that just confirms Eric's theory from last week. That means oh, that all three Spider-Mans are canonically in the same universe. Oh, we did it. <laughs> anyway, we broke the MCU. Yes. So, uh, Spider-Man's. Mm. 
Yes. Oh, well, I mean, Stanley's Wait, what's canon? So, uh, it's <laughs> the other it. two Spider-Man movies? <laughs> no, he's, he's joking. If, if it's Spider-Men or Spider-Mans, which is the canon plural. There's probably room for both. Spider-People. Because there's also female uh, we're, we, spider We weren't talking spider about those people. I'm just saying. I mean, if you're going to put in other spiders, you have to put in those people, too. And and also, one of them's a pig and another one's an ape, I think. There's so. also a spider... human. Uh, there's there's a, the human spider. No, no, no. Or, spider or man human. spider? I think yeah, it's just called non, man's, man spider, I think. Is it non... Uh, there's a... Bionic, is it? I don't know. Well, <laughs> Spider-Man. No. Uh, the, uh, like 2007. Binary. Non-binary. Yeah, the non-binary spider. Called, spider X. 2009, well, there's the, uh, there's the something Spider-Man. Isn't Black, Black oh. Widow? What's that one called? Black Widow. Um, there's a villain 2099. in the Spider-Man universe. 2099. That is, uh, yeah. that is a very spider. And Black Widow is a type of spider. And Black Widow is a type of spider. I think she's like abdomen of a spider, torso of a female. That is the most frightening thing. Oh, you should read the comics and what happens. So anyway. Yeah. Divorce. Yeah. Well, we're talking about spiders and like... I swear. It's funny, last week we talked for about infant baptism for like five minutes and then we're like, so the Marvel movies. Yeah. And I think now our we do Marvel movies and uh, yeah, yeah, seamless. Uh, Eric has an well, okay, we got to start at ground zero. Uh, so the the conversation, the ongoing conversation between Eric and whoever he can get to listen to him, yeah. which is sometimes <laughs> me, uh, is you know when is divorce permissible and then when would remarriage be permissible as stated clearly in the New Testament. Yeah, Eric. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, this uh, is has been, like you said, an ongoing uh, conversation. I think I've pretty much uh, wrapped everything on my end. I'm from work to work it. Work, <laughs> I've settled on where I am, and I think it's, I think it's really the only option. Uh, so to to start off the the issues or the the debate. Um, occurs because in one gospel you have what seems to be an exception to if you can divorce and remarry and then everywhere else it's not found there um, now how I used to what I used to believe and how I used to think about it how and the only way that I remember ever being taught and remember you know I came from a Catholic background so that's a completely different thing but when I became a Protestant Christian, this is what I was taught in school, was was uh, the exception clause, right? That's in Matthew 5 and 19, where Jesus says, uh, if you send away your wife, uh, except for, and then there's a word there, and we'll get into all that, um, that that was an exception. And the way I thought about it was like, uh, I never really paid much attention to the fact that it was nowhere else when like in, in Mark or in Luke when it's pretty much the same uh, quote or story that's being um, told uh, I, I never thought about what you know why it's not there and then further research you know I, I think two other places to look at is Paul's letters and one is Romans and the other one is in first Corinthians and it's also not there um, the reason I never thought about that was because to me, it was just like all of it was together. And so it was like, yeah, it's it's Matthew plus all this, right? So if there's an exception, then I naturally gravitated towards the exception as the more clear, clear or yeah, the defined 
thing. But now I don't, I don't believe that. I've, I've changed my mind. Uh, and it took, uh, you know, it was a process. Um, but I kind of knew that that's probably where I was going to go once the issues uh, were, were brought up to me and the debate was brought up to me. And this happened, just as a side note, because that was a discussion that was actually going on between me and then, you know, Sam was there, between uh, pastors of a, of a church and I about a real life situation and, hmm? and and us actually yeah object to the preposition right us uh, <laughs> um so <clears throat> that's that's how this all got started and um so for me there's two primary issues one is uh has to do with you know what does has to do with like if there is an exception to divorce <laughs> and remarriage um the other issue, um, which I, th I think it's, I mean, I would describe it as, uh, as just, I mean, they're, they're, they're both just as serious, but, but I think there's, I don't know if sinister is really the word I would use, but it's, it's, it just is very, very concerning. The other issue, which you would think is tied into what you believe, whether or not there's exception and what those exceptions are just one exception to divorce and, and remarriage is, uh, but it's not. And I would say it's because people are just not consistent with the argument anyways. And the more alarming issue is when you get to actual remarriage. And if you, let's say you believe there is no exception, there's no reason to get remarried except for till death, death do you part. Yeah. And um, people have gotten remarried, they've divorced and remarried and their spouse is not dead. And there's this idea that the right thing to do is then to remain remarried. And it's just like, man, it doesn't, like, I think people on both sides of the issue should have issue with that idea. Um, but anyways. Well, isn't the solution to uh, to murder your original spouse? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad that uh, you bring, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But no, that's obviously not the solution. But um, it's something that obviously is going to be brought up uh, here in this country and around the world. Divorce happens. Marriages are not always so easy or, or you know, they, they can be messy and whatnot. But uh, for me, um, aside from just personal reasons, like, you know, that I don't want to see anybody. I've seen people go through divorce. I've seen the messy side of uh, marriages. But that's just a personal kind of emotional thing. Um, but the real reason that I'm so adamant about this is because I think that it really puts everything into perspective, or at least it can. This is a great place to jump off into other issues. Um, <clears throat> so I put a lot of weight into this because I don't think that, uh, I don't think that we as Protestants can afford to have this be an issue. I, now, like I know, uh, and I'll be bringing up his name again, but like with John Piper, I know in his church, he has a view and some of the elders have different views. I don't think that's, that's acceptable. I don't like, I think obviously you need to have the right perspective on things, but there can't be this debate in within even a local body. Um, and, and it's just like, it's not like, it's like, it's a secondary issue because actually I would say this is a primary issue because it will deal with people's salvation it will like affect where 
someone will end up, if you want to put it in these terms, end up going in the afterlife. Yeah, the conversation always winds up going to, uh, well, okay, do we treat my ex-husband as though he is a believer or as though he's an unbeliever? Right. Yeah, and that gets really uh, messy really quickly. Yeah, and I don't think that passes... And that's because of the First Corinthians 7 passage. Yeah, like this, yeah. it's, it's not um, a... There's a lot to digest, and so it can be kind of complicated. But it's it's once you get kind of past seeing all the issues, it, it actually isn't really that complicated. Um, it's just that the the issues themselves are can be complicated. So, but what I want to say is like I also don't believe that pastors just get a pass for getting this wrong. I think if you get it wrong, there are going to be consequences to that, and at best, you as paul put it your your work in this world will be burned up but you will be saved as a mm. fire but that's at best and that's just pure that's like if we're applying that correctly now i'm just going to give a brief overview as brief as i can of the issues right so i said matthew is the only gospel that has what might be an exception but there's issues with those verses and the issues have to do with um the translating from the original language. So let's just start off by kind of presenting the texts as they are. Right. Okay. Uh, so again, in Matthew 5, chapter 5, and in Matthew 19, those are the two areas you're going to get it. And in Matthew chapter 5, um, maybe we should pull it up just so yeah, I can bring it up now. Do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we'll get to Matthew 5 and then that Matthew uh, 19. Are um, you on Matthew 5, David? Yeah. Okay, I'll go Matthew 19. And uh, so we'll read that, and I'll explain. What verses do you want him to read? Um, uh, yeah, Matthew just five thirty-one. Yeah, five. Just that pericope, right? That little paragraph. Uh, it says, <clears throat> "It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for <clears throat> sexu sexual immortality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery." Okay. So you, you hear the exception mm -hmm. in, in Matthew 19, it's, it's more narrative, but it, starting in verse three, it says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. So you have the except for sexual morality. Mm -hmm. um, that little phrase, that clause, uh, create, it, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, the And that's found in both instances the problem is like i was saying uh translating from the greek to the english that'll be the first issue because yeah. it might not actually say except for it might actually say the complete opposite of that which would be I, i'm serious it it sounds stupid but that's how it works if it all depends if there is one word that is actually a, like supposed to be there or not and that is uh i think the greek word of if um, and this is, this is an English translation of the Greek. So if I was to say it literally, it would sound so weird, but 
the words are, I think it's ice, epi, may. And it would be like the difference between saying not over and if not over. Okay. And that doesn't make any sense to us, but it's pretty much the difference between saying except for or not even for. Hmm. And uh, the argument that's being made about uh, that it's actually not even for is that there's only one textual tradition, the Texas Receptus, um, which I'll get into just a little bit, but uh, that actually has the if not over, the exception, like we translate as exception. The reason why the Texas Receptus is important is because this was the main manuscript tradition that Protestants used. Yeah, for the King James. For, yeah. yeah, and uh, actually, and so Texas Receptus means received by all, but it actually wasn't, but it was good marketing. That's yeah. why I read. Um, so this is actually an issue that spans a little over 500 years prior to this you actually don't have debates ongoing about whether or not there's an exception uh, to the whole divorce and remarriage. This came about because of the Reformation. Protestantism, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like, hey, uh, we, we see problems within Catholicism, and it was just like, let's just dive into the word, and what, a, what like, you know, just reset everything and see how everything is. So Luther and Zwingli really pushed for this exception. Um, but I would argue that this is just throwing out the baby with the bathwater because it, it isn't an issue until you get to the Reformation and until you get to a certain stream of manuscripts that, uh, so if you to go by any manuscript tradition from before the TR, yeah, they're all in agreement that the text should be translated or the, 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 the correct interpretation is anyone who divorces his wife even for the cause of adultery, yeah, yeah, commits adultery. Yeah, for the, for the most part, um, there is like because there are quotes with the exception from like maybe one or two mm -hmm. early church fathers, but for the most part, it's it's not. Well, even then, like none of them actually believed in an exception. So it's like what we might be seeing is the way we would read it, and not so much what it's actually trans. So like. It, we're reading it with the exception because that's how we're used to it, but they might just be quoting it. And, and again, it's not actually an exception. Okay. So that's a fairly new thing that happened. And that's just one issue, right? We have to try to dig through that and see if we can find um, any leeway or, or any clarity in that. But that's the first issue you got to deal with. The second issue is then the translation of the word uh, that the exception is pertaining to, which the Greek word is porneia. There are several different interpretations when it comes to porneia. Uh, there's those who believe that porneia just means a general sexual morality, so any sexual morality. Then there are those who believe that um, Matthew is hinting at a certain um, sexual morality that the word porneia was commonly used for, which could be anything from uh, sex during the betrothal period, like you have sex mm. with someone who you're not betrothed with, and so that was considered, uh, you know, something that nullifies. Nullifies, yeah. yeah. Or uh, it could have been for incestual relations, um, kind of going yeah. back to John the Baptist telling Herod, it's not mm. lawful for you to be with your brother's wife. Or it could even be like temple prostitution and whatnot. And there are all arguments for and against and, and you know, different levels of like convincing, but 
it's it's there it's definitely a, a conversation you need to have when you're navigating that and then the third thing so it's like trans transmission interpretation and then you have to go to application because is this exception just dealing with divorce like you can divorce send them away because they're committing sexual morality or is it sexual morality uh is the exception for divorce and and remarriage yeah um all great questions and i feel like a lot of times the scholars tend to just gravitate right to those discussions but to me and i don't think it's just to me but to me it's like uh that that's all moot because at the end of the day the real question you have to ask is why don't you see it anywhere else so if you want to apply it universally why is it not universally commanded in the scriptures and um so the whole idea that i had before where it's like yeah we have matthew and mark and and i'm reading them all together and like trying to harmonize them and basically putting matthew on top of all that like making everything read into matthew rather than just actually not doing that at all um that works for a 21st century christian or a 20th century christian or however long you've had all four gospels but it doesn't work for someone early on in the church because if you had the gospel of matthew more than likely that was your sole source of the christian faith and if you had the gospel of mark that was going to be your sole source of the christian faith and then luke and then you know paul's letters and it's i you know i'm not uh saying like there was these separate competing christian communities back then but that these communities did not have all 12 apostles telling them the story or you know they didn't have all this plethora of work that we do so they had a source and often you know was one person or maybe a, a team of people and so a good example is like paul's letters paul's writing to the corinthians and you know that Paul's the source for their, their gospel. He kind of repeats it in, in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. I gave you of utmost importance, or I gave you first what was utmost importance, and he gives a brief uh, gospel right there, rendition of it. So here these guys have the gospel, and here these guys are asking Paul this this very like the t a question on this very topic. What is the relationship between men and women? Is mm -hmm. it good not to touch a woman? And so Paul's going to be their sole source, apostolic source, for what to do in in regards to relationship between men and women and that's all they're going to have they need the exception clause present there if that's going to be universally applied and they don't mm -hmm. and there's like there's not a whole lot of good answers anyways with the other issues that i brought up with transmission translation and application because there's a lot of competing views and they like if you read through it one of the things i want to do is send you guys some of these things so you can read through it and see like it's going back and forth um so anyway, so you have all these questions and that's and that's great. But the if you can navigate that and somehow have an answer that stands out above the rest, I, I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to with what we have. You're not. But if you could, you still have the impossible task of explaining why it's not applied anywhere else or we don't included. find it included yeah. anywhere else. And so like. I'll just give an example like if you say oh well pornea meant sex before the betrothal period okay but that does not apply then to us because we don't have betrothal periods that way and it still wouldn't be married people divorcing it'd be people engaged so you see how that doesn't even affect anything 
because you found the context of it, but the context you just proved does not apply. Well, if that wound up being... If that wound up. Yeah. But the one that has to wind up being the answer in, in order for you to really hold the, the exception clause is that it's for any kind of sexual morality, you know, because you you're going to have to include adultery, mm -hmm. right? So married people and whatnot. And uh, there's no good reason why that's only found in Matthew and not in other places, because, you know, if the Jews who had God's law had some idea of this, the, this sanctity, I guess, or the sacredness of marriage and the, um, the weightiness of adultery and how mm -hmm. terrible that is, um, they have some semblance of that, but what about the Gentiles, you know? They're not enlightened at all by any inspiration from God. This is the first I you know, uh, time they're gonna get their eyes opened to it. So there that that needs to all be hashed out. There can't be no assumption of like, well, they they'll figure it out or they kinda know because there's some sort of like idea in their own culture that kinda uh, you know, reflects this uh, law or command. It's like that that just isn't going to happen and it didn't and so dealing with which position you should be in i would argue that if you hold to the exception clause especially you know as a pastor it is at best reckless because you don't have even enough to go on there to even teach it you know to to, to apply it to your congregation there are so many questions and not enough answers that that to to say you have any confidence in this is just it's to me it's ridiculous like you don't even know if the manuscript tradition that you uh are going off of is the right one you you don't even know exactly the definition of pornea there you don't even know if it's going to be applied to just divorce or remarriage which matters uh so it's like these are all great questions and and you know dig in uh, it's going to be a hearty meal, but, you know, dig in if you want to learn about these kind of things. But you're, there's no way you come out of it with really a position that can be defended, like, without, like, like just to have any security in that, that position. Especially when you're not just dealing with yourself, you're dealing with other people. This is real life. And if you get this wrong, which I'm saying the chances are you, you're going to, if you hold this position, like... What you've done is led your people into adultery. Now, I mean, I don't think I have to get into great detail of why that's a big problem. But this also is a slap in the face of, I think, of Protestantism, because what was the big hoopla over, hey, you know, like, man, we should not be deifying this bishop from Rome, you know, the Pope, and we should not be deifying Mary, and we should not be, like, uh, redefining what, how we're saved in salvation. When at the end of the day, you're just going to be teaching that adultery is okay. Like, I don't think, like, maybe with a group of, of people that can fly by, like, maybe you can kind of justify that. But I'm telling you, with God, that's not going to work. He's going to hold you accountable, and you can plead ignorance. <laughs> maybe that'll work to your favor. But at some point, you ought to, to know these things. And I feel really bad because it's like, you know... The, 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 the regular person, and even I who went to Bible college, it's not like I knew about all these things with the Reformation and about Greek manuscripts and different... Like, that goes really deep. I get that. But if you're a pastor, you have to know these things. Mm. And the fact is that people 
when when I've had discussions with this, it's like these things are never they're seldom brought up. It's usually like um, I, uh, it was very disappointing, but to hear John MacArthur because he mentioned this, I watched the video and he said, "Yeah, I believe in the exception clause. It's in the Bible." Mm. And it's like that's not even remotely good enough. That's not well. I I okay. So. I think that it is valid to say that even if a clause is only included in one of the Gospels, that that clause serves as something that people should be taking into account in their interpretation of things. Agreed. You know? So, now, I, I'm with you as far as, like, I think that um, I it feels like people are kind of playing fast and loose with the text to kind of keep a church together a lot of times because... It, um, well, you know, is this really enforceable? Can we really, uh, you know, we have so many divorced and remarried people already in the church. Like, what are we supposed to tell them to do? And it's like, it's it's almost like a way of getting out of some some amount of work that should be gone into, right? Um, where I would say, and this is this is a disagreement that we've that we've hit on before, which is like, if you're wrong about something then uh, you are necessarily... It, it's like you're either right or you're maliciously, intentionally leading people astray. Right. Right? And I don't, I don't feel like I have the tools necessary to see the church functioning in that sort of dichotomy because I think that there are a plurality of wrong opinions of people who are, you know, and, and I'm not saying, oh, you're, you're judged by your sincerity, regardless of the, the correctness of your, um, worldview, but there are people who are, who are putting in varying amounts of work and coming to differing opinions. And then to, to lead a church in one direction is one thing. And then I know that this has even become something where for you, like you have said, um, would it, would it be okay for me to, to say that like, this was either the issue or the largest issue that has led you away from a church? Yes. Right? It's the largest. Yeah. Issue. This is, this is the largest, um, issue in a, you know, in a non one amount of issues, yeah. um, you know, that have led you away from the church. And it is frustrating to me to see sometimes like we just kind of accept the way things are because it, it requires less work of us. Um, and now I've heard some of the answers that, um, you know, either my elders or other pastors of other churches or even just other lay people have given, and I've not really found them satisfactory, but I find within myself not just a ability, but I, I feel like a necessity to be willing to join in with people with whom I disagree uh, even quite largely on things like this. So I want to clarify, like... And I, part of that's because I won't go to a church otherwise. Right. Like, I would not go to any church if I couldn't function like that. Yeah. Well, and so that's this is a great springboard to those kinds of conversations. But I want to clarify, like, I don't think everybody's doing this maliciously. And I, and I couldn't uh, suppose that because I didn't believe the exception clause out of any malintent. So I know that not everybody's doing this maliciously, but this is why I'm racing to get this out. And I'm certainly not, I haven't been the first person to get this out. It's been an ongoing debate. But um, it's like, not everybody's doing this maliciously. I think there is a malicious 
side to this, which we'll get into. Uh, but it's it should be connected to where you are here, but unfortunately, I found that that's not really the case. But uh, so yeah, I don't think uh, people are always malicious about it. And but the the thing is that I tried to to, and again, I'm not God, but I know what is said in Scripture about pastors, mm. and they're not judged to an easier standard, just to a harder standard. So it's like, yeah. if this is not great for a layman to believe and, you know, spouse to, it's really not good for, for a pastor. And uh, so the, the idea of the salvation being an issue is like, you know, that Paul says, do not be deceived, neither adulterer or, uh, you know, sexually immoral. And, and he lists a bunch homosexual um, are going to inherit the kingdom. And it's like if someone is in the position of adultery, right, and they are comforted by the fact that they were pastored in that direction, like their pastor counseled them. In yeah. That, yeah. Um, you know, in like and, and again, it's not no malintent was 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 uh, there. It was just like that's what they really believed. Scripture says but it's like the end effect is the same regardless. Right. The end effect will be the same. And it's just like, well, how does that conversation play out with God? I mean, aside from all the cosmic and things we can't even imagine. But it's just like if you say, well, uh, there was a clause in Matthew. <laughs> it's like like if I am a human being and I can say, yeah, that clause is not sure. And like there's no reason to be sure in that clause for for anything you don't even know if that's translated right it's like then god can do even a much better argument against that and it's like if you're really serious like it's not that hey you have to have everything perfect right off the bat i think you then get into the, the paralysis of analysis right mm. you'll never get anywhere because you always have to make sure but it's like you know this is an important topic you know that's that people's lives are at stake here then then do the work and um, again, I'm, well, what I'm saying is like, even if there's no malintent, you can't you. argue that it isn't. If you know these things, it's like, this is, how did I get access to this? I don't have a key card or a code or anything. Yeah, and that, that's something is you like. You have the Da Vinci code? No. <laughs> I, I, not, I guess fear is not the right word, but like, there's a gravity of understanding that like our generation is going to be judged so harshly because like dude you had the internet yeah. and you there were so many rabbit holes that you could have gone down with regard to this doctrine and this doctrine and this you know belief about this sin or whatever and you were just content to not and like to distract yourself with other things and it's like man i i, I try to be pretty uh diligent you know with my um like with diving into things like this and, and studying them because I do want to make sure that I'm not spreading anything false and that whatever I am teaching, I'm teaching of, you know, really strong conviction. But at the same time, it's like, I don't always do that. Right. You know, yeah. and uh, so we have we have access to a lot. And I mean, that we Eric, you and I and, and Dan, we had talked about how like there's you could be someone who's equipped to be a pastor and not ever go to seminary or Bible college or anything, just because there's so many tools for free online that are just available to anyone to educate themselves. Um, so that is, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I, I, uh, I kind of want to take the conversation to a more practical discussion okay. instead of a more heady discussion. Um, and, and I would, I would ask, 
So, uh, obviously, no divorce. Uh, so, kind of, where is that line? Is the line uh, courthouse uh, documents? There's a stamp from the government that says divorce. Is divorce, hey, uh, we can't get divorced, but you go buy a house, I go buy a house. Mm. Uh, we are husband and wife, we file taxes as married, but you're you, I'm me. Is it no divorce, but we're gonna live under the same house and we're just not gonna like each other and talk to each other? Mm -hmm. Like where, yeah. where is the line? Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not saying I disagree with you um, in entirely. I just, yeah. I want to make it. I want to take it to a more practical stance here. Yeah, on the practical. <laughs> so here's a fun fact that I found out. The reason why uh, courts deal with marriages has to do with the Reformation. They pushed that reform. Really, mm -hmm. they wanted it out of the church's hands and into the governments, and that could benefit you if the government reflects what you actually believe, you know, like if they're Protestant princes. Mm -hmm. or um, but I, I always wondered, how did we get to that point where it's like we have a certificate of divorce or a uh, marriage license or whatever mm -hmm. that actually, I don't information. Um, on the, to your question, like, as far as divorce, if the idea of divorce is it dissolves the marriage, like now we're over, there is no such thing. Um, but if it's like we're separating for a time because for our own sake and the sake of our marriage, it's better to do that. I think there is that option because uh, yeah. in First Corinthians seven, Paul says, if the woman leaves to remain single or be reconciled, and I think that that's a that's a temporary thing. That's not a permanent thing, based off other things he says in that chapter. Um, but so so I would say like that's an option, especially if it's like there's abuse going on or if there is uh, you know sexual morality going on, like you might need to physically relocate so you're not bearing that every single Call day the cops. or yeah <laughs> um so yeah like I, I think there is a time of separation but the whole point the, the goal is for reconciliation and to continue on in this you know one flesh uh relationship covenant relationship so that that would be the practical thing i guess if that answers that. yeah no, no no it does like i said i just Right now we're talking a lot of well, theory and, and, and you know, yeah. I think... Uh, I don't think government really needs to, to play a part and we need to stop. Like, because you're not div uh, divorced because the government says you are. Yeah, yeah not, no, I agree. You know, you're not married because of that either. Uh, so, like, that's just really this life stuff where yeah. like, we want to know how taxes our taxes and all are. That, yeah. yeah. You know, you figure that out amicably. amicably. Uh, but as far as... In God's eyes, you know, you're not, um, you're not done until one of you kicks the bucket. So here's another uh, question: Do you, now, do you think because churches participate in um, weddings or marriages, um, do you think the fact that churches don't participate in a divorce? Not necessarily ceremony, oh, but a, a man, divorce. Oh a divorce ceremony. That not would be so great. Not necessarily a divorce ceremony, but like, but because like, I, like you know, like Eric, <laughs> no longer take you to be. No, like, well, yeah. like pastors the sit there and they and they, you know, like they, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say they unite, but you know, they carry through the ceremony of two bodies into one flesh and all yeah. that stuff. Now, do you think because that this lends credence to your argument that because churches don't do uh Hello, you two are a married couple. You're coming to me to now be severed as one flesh. Do yeah. you think that lends credence get out my to your scissors? Well, like, no. Do you think that lends credence to the argument of like, hey, like, 
the church hasn't bought this hook, yeah. line, and sinker. Uh, it's just deceived yeah. itself into is this, believing is it. Is this an authorized separation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, like, I, I would argue, I would argue, yeah, like, like, you know what, like, if, yeah. if a church what would sit God there and be like, yeah, together. divorce, I'm, I'm, if a church would come forward and say, like, yeah, I'm good with divorce, I'd be like, okay, well, what's your procedure for it? Ooh. Because if you're going to unite me, you better yeah. be able to separate me. So what yeah. is that procedure? And if you, if you won't do that, then I would argue that you either don't believe in divorce or you don't carry the authority to unite me. There's, there's no, a pastor. With a... Go ahead. Oh, no. I love that. Okay. Keep going. No. Wait, wait, do no. you do you agree with divorce? Yeah, I well, well, just going back to quick thing is I I believe no one should get well, if you get divorced you should not get remarried. Okay, yeah. Either case, either if it's from the girl, he or she cheated on you, or was even a non-Christian, um, you should still not get remarried. Once once you've been divorced, I think you should not get remarried. Period. Okay. I, I don't care if it's the person was was an atheist. I was, well, I was going to bring up what I would consider a secondary, different kind of exception clause in the same passage of 1 Corinthians uh, yeah. 7, right? Yeah. Um, where right after it talks about Christians, if they are separated for a time to not, you know, remarry, just uh, um, just remain separated for a time. Right after that, it talks about mm -hmm. uh, someone who is married to a non-believer mm -hmm. right? and that if they want to remain with you you are to remain married however if they do not and they they push for getting away from you then you are then free yeah uh, that is the only point at but, which it says you are free but I, you know. I my in my opinion i just don't think you should still get married again yeah. that's just my that's my so, i mean i'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong i just in my opinion yeah, yeah. so opinion. as long as you qualify so like, so, yeah. so then you but you disagree with uh if a church believes that it, that divorce is okay. That they should not do a divorce. I don't think it's a church's business. You don't think it's a no, church's business. I don't think it's a church's business. Oh wow! Why is that? There's well, a pastor that I've uh, met, and he said, and I have never had to do couples counseling or premarital counseling. I'm guessing that at some point you never I had to perform to. it, or you never did it. Like I've, I've were... never had to perform. Okay. Oh yeah, I, Nicole and I went through premarital counseling. Okay. But this guy said whenever he does premarital counseling with couples at his church, he asks them, like, is there anything, is there any reason that you two could see yourself getting divorced? Uh, like, is there anything that you feel like you could learn about the other one or, like, you know, this changes about them and that would cause you to get divorced? And, you know, they have a, a whole conversation. And he goes, okay, I want you to include all that in your vows that you're going to make before everyone. <laughs> so don't say, like, until death, if you mean, well, until death or financial or, like, we start to like different kinds of movies, and, and it's like if, I love if, that. if you if you say until death, that better be the thing that you're willing to let separate. You. I I, I love like, that. Yeah, that that's, that's that's really good. good and spicy. I love that so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you know, this goes back to uh, something that I think you were hinting at, but like we do say till death do us part. Yeah. Why would you, as a pastor, say that when you know that's not what you believe, nor that they should be believing in how you'll counsel them? Doesn't make or, or if you believe the pornea clause, the sexual immorality clause, should you then have them say yeah. until death or adultery do us part? Yeah, absolutely. That would be interesting. That uh, would be very consistent. Until yeah. death or another woman yeah. do us part. <laughs> until death, some cheating, right. some harlot. I did have a question I wanted to throw in like while we're at it. Going back to the verse in Matthew where... Um, 
Paul says, unless they, they are unfaithful. Um, I have a question along the lines of that, about that verse, like, and the action of divorcing people. So, say we take this scenario where it's not, not in a matter of adultery, not in a matter of, like, any, like, sort of thing that I would consider to be marriage-breaking. Like, say, they fail, the man or woman decided to divorce because they failed to meet a standard. Wouldn't that, in the action, wouldn't that action in of itself be considered unfaithful? Divorcing? Like, divorcing because someone else failed to meet, like, a specific standard. That was like oh man! None. So now we can get divorced for any cause. Well, so I, but actually, oh, wait, so I, didn't, I didn't follow that. I, I'll explain. So it's like, it okay. Uh, well, here's a here's a hyperbole of it. It's like, okay, I'm angry at my wife because she didn't she doesn't wash the dishes like I want. So now I'm gonna divorce her, and then my wife can go. Well, you know, my husband divorced me. That's sexual immorality because he's not either he's not fulfilling you know the marriage uh, obligation, and then like or maybe he's gone and gotten remarried. So it's like now that he's committed adul- adultery, I'm free to remarry. That's a loophole that I've heard before. Yeah. But... Yeah, well, but Whoa, it is. Oh, oh. So. Yeah, no, listen, that was my reaction when I heard that. But as I thought about it, it's a valid loophole. That's why I no longer. It's a believe. consistent. It's yeah. a consistent I, loophole. So yeah. what the, the problem the exception clause does, like there's so many red flags, but here's another one to think about, is that what was the question the Pharisees asked Jesus? Is Can it lawful to divorce? for any cause. Yeah. But, I mean, we could summarize that as, is a lawful divorce? Because if there's a cause, it'll be, it'll be a yes. And uh, Jesus answers the question, right? But when you bring the exception clause to it, you're right back at the same freaking this question. So, like, it, you've actually done, like, there's no... Don't you feel like Jesus does that a lot, though? No, I think, uh, I mean... <laughs> so let me ask, answer that question with another question. But he does, no, yeah, like, yeah. and he's brilliant at it, but um, he, I... I, he, I don't even want to say I believe he does give an answer. What is his answer? And if your position is like as unclear as the questions that are going around it at the time it was answered, then it's it's you've you've done nothing. All you've done is taken away the answer given by Jesus. Uh, I think I've stupided into an answer. So I I would argue. And I'm thinking out loud as I speak, so this might just get totally him. shut down. Um, I would argue under like the scenario that Travis kind of just played out of, hey, if yeah. yeah, somebody if my spouse wants to divorce me, then they've committed uh, sexual immorality, which then l- allows me to claim sexual immorality yeah. and leave them. I would argue that you are one flesh, and so if one commits sexual immorality, you both commit sexual immorality, which mm. then means. I don't know yet. Give me a minute. No, look. Like, where's he going? Uh, I don't know where I'm going with it either. So Hold if on. I cheat, my wife is guilty of sexual immorality. That just means you're hurting the one flesh. Yeah. I, I do want to kind of rephrase. No, I don't feel good with that. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I do want to rephrase. No, I just had to think out loud. Trying to ask, like, um, what I was specifically asked, I might have not interpreted my question correctly. Like, when someone, like, for marriage example, like if husband di- divorces because his wife continuously cooks bad meals or something, <laughs> but like would the man choosing to take the action of divorce would that be considered unfaithfulness, an act of unfaithfulness? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 
being the person pushing yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it, it would be. Yeah. It would be. Yeah, that was why I was Don't asking. Don't eat food then. Uh, but it's all to cook yourself. Yeah. The, Let's go out to eat. Yeah. Here, so this is, this is what I'm saying is like, mm-hmm. think about being before God and try to justify before Him why you have a doctrine that you teach that creates loopholes that in itself is not... We don't... Like, there's a good amount of evidence there that this is... Um, the whole idea of the exception was, was in a sense, a later edition or just a mistranslation that, that is relatively uh, not that old compared to all of church history, right? I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Right. Well... Well, no, I'm saying I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable saying it's a mistranslation because, like, and I'll be honest, like, I'm I'm not a study, like, I'm not even as studied as you, um, but I tend to think that the organizations that have translated and through the various different translations of the Bible, that uh, it would be that that mistranslation would be common. dealt with. Yeah. Well, so, it, so it, I'm not, I'm it not, has. It and has, that, that's my ignorance and laziness yeah. speaking, but like, I'm not sure. I I wish it was that. Uh, easy, but what happens is that uh, for Protestants, they're going largely off of Erasmus' work. Erasmus has several manuscripts, but they aren't even in the number and in the scope that we have today. Yeah, I was going to say, I I've, I take issue with that, because I think that there's a lot of work that's been done where it's like, you know, I grew up King James, and so it's really easy. It's like, well, just what is, how did the King James translate it? Yeah. Boom, there's your answer. That's the correct translation. That's the correct interpretation. Um, and, you know, King James is the Texas Receptus. It's just the English translation of exactly the Texas Receptus. And that is Erasmus's work. So, okay. A lot has been done to undermine and to, uh, you know, just the, the things that are undermineable and the weaknesses that there were in Erasmus's work and in the Texas Receptus, I feel like have been largely um, maybe not dealt with, but they've been addressed so that, you know, if I'm if I'm reading, for example, my ESV, there will be footnotes. And it'll be like, just so you know, the Texas Receptus adds this phrase. Or just so you know, the Masoretic text in the Old Testament, you know, adds this phrase or whatever. And so it kind of gives you the bare bones. And then it, it'll tell you, like, here's an outlier, there's an outlier. And I think getting a study Bible um, is a great way to, you know, kind of just have have those notes available right offhand. I don't ha- I don't read out of a study Bible. Um but just to kind of familiarize with those yourself with those things. Yeah. Well, it has been uh dealt with in that way. Um the only reason I know about this was actually Kevin and Kevin found this out I think through um the program. <laughs> no, wasn't it? no, it was the Bible program uh Logos. Yeah. Oh yeah. So in Logos it's it gives that note. That that that's there, um, and there are people who've already argued and showed. Hey, look at the manuscript traditions. Where do you find yeah. if you don't have it there? Something uh, happened with it, you know, and they boil it down to Erasmus and the Texas Receptus. Why hasn't it been a great change? Is because probably I don't want to say political reasons, but it's like if you've been taught this for a while, the chances of you going back they just get harder and harder through time, and so it's like. This is, but so I'm not presenting to you one argument. I want to present to you all the arguments there so that you start to see that everything coupled, or not coupled, but everything uh, gathered together, all the arguments against it, that the exception clause isn't really a sustainable place. Like, you, you, I, I don't know what, what is the argument for it? You're saying, well, it's, it's for in the, including it, you're yeah, saying? Yeah. 
Yeah. You're saying, well, it's 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 in the Bible. Yeah, but that's going off of one transmission, one well, one gospel. Well, I would say one. No, because there are uh, times where the if is not there. In Matthew, yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, the uh, manuscript tradition. All right. So there were. Well, what I mean by manuscript tradition is like, um, you know, when you have the original, you have several manuscripts and then they're being passed on. And then so this let's say there's three manuscripts from the original copy. Well, then you have three strands of traditions if they're in different places and being copied by different people. OK, and then they'll eventually come around and you can compare. And that's what has happened with us in textual criticism is all these traditions have finally come together and we can start to compare. And so that's what I'm saying. We compare them and it's like, hey. If it's not found in any of these traditions, it's, it's just this one. And this one was, there was already questions to it. We've already known yeah. it to have issues. Fishy. So even fishy the idea fish. of the exception is in question. But if you decide to go with, it's not in question in my mind, then to define it, you have issues. And if somehow you can convince yourself, well, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to take this stance or whatever. All right. But then you have the issue of why it's nowhere else. And I'm telling you, there's not a good answer for that. There isn't. And, and I wouldn't even just say there's just not a good answer. By necessity, the exception clause has to be found in other places. Because otherwise, what you have to believe is that the majority of Christian communities are being told one thing. And the, uh, the one who Matthew is writing to is being told something completely, well, not completely different, but fundamentally different. These people are being told you there is no... Uh, dissolution of your marriage except for death and this one is saying well there, is, there actually is a reason so you have to justify that if you're going to teach it and you just don't really have a lot to go off of and it's not really the congregation you're going to have to worry about or just other people it's really going to be before god and so I, I i plead with people like don't don't teach this um to kind of go back over y'all I don't think uh, it's really the church's business if a couple gets divorced. If they, if they're going to that church, I don't think I don't think pastor can say, "Oh, I made you guys married. Now I'm gonna say, hey, you're now divorced." I don't think you don't think it's the word of the pastor that makes them married. No, I don't. Uh, I think it's vow to each other and to God. And so if you're going to get divorced, I think you should pray about it and talk to each other and confront God with it. Um, I think you should go to a pastor for advice and stuff, but I don't think a pastor should have the right to say, hey, okay, now you guys are now divorced, or the pastor to say, hey, you guys are now officially married. It's not the pastors who's giving the couples the, say, hey, so you, the stamp. Saying, you would say that married. there is, like, you could have a legitimate wedding ceremony with no pastor Yes, involved. like getting eloped. You can get eloped and you, you're officially married. And if you make promise to vow to God, then you're officially married. But does, it doesn't, like... Would you say that would say, you like, could have, having, a, have, like, if it was just me and Nicole and we ran away and, like, we went and, like, climbed a mountain somewhere and, like, just, <laughs> you know, I love stood in front of God and, and said, uh, and I made vows to her and she made vows to my to me... And and it's like okay then then yes. we're that 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 marriage ceremony is as legitimate as any other. Yes. Uh. So this might be a bad analogy to it, but let's say like let's say I was married, I didn't have my wedding ring. I'm still married, mm-hmm. but I just don't have the wedding ring on. It's like this, like going to God and saying like 
you guys all married, but you just don't have the, you know, I guess like the people, you know, like to show proof. Like, I don't, I mean, when I have the wedding ring on, it's not showing me that I have proof, but I'm still married. Like, I just, I don't think you need the people to get married. I don't think you need a pastor. I think it's just between the spouse and God. That's mm. just my personal opinion. I just don't. I don't. I think there's something about a ceremony that is significant. But, yeah, I think it's, I think there's some significance oh, to it. But, but that's like saying, like, if I go to an Italian restaurant, like, congratulations, I just had communion. I don't need to no, be in a that's church not, that's for nothing. the bread to be the body and the wine to that's, be the blood. That's you nothing know? Like, like that. Because it, anywhere in the Bible, like, that's, like, Joseph and Mary, do they have a... I mean, I'm being serious. Did they? No, yeah. No, I, like, so, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a ceremony. Now, I agree, it's a celebration. It's a unique thing, and it's great. But, like, have, have as people as witness, you're making those vows to God and to your spouse. But you do not need... For so me, what for me to become a Christian... Like a 16-year-old from being like, I love you, first girlfriend. I love you till I die, first girlfriend. And she goes, I love you too, Noah. And then... Oh, wait, that's the notebook. Um, and then, like, they're married. <laughs> oh, they like, make what, a, like, okay, or oh, they make a vow to God, though. They may sing to each other, but they're making a vow to God. Because like you don't need... Christian 16-year-olds oh, might... Hold, hold, yeah, hold. they might. But I'm saying, is that, is that a legit marriage? Are they R- making a, if they're making a, uh, a promise to God, I don't... That's another thing to me. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, is God going to look at you and say, Oh, sorry, buddy, you were 16 years old when you promised me that you, this was going to be your wife. Right, right, I'm going to forgive you. No, God does, God's not going to do that. Yeah. Like what I'm saying is that the thing is is that if I were to get married and didn't, and I got eloped, I would be. If I didn't have my family, it was just me and her, and I got married, would it be okay for me to go cheat on her? Like, oh, we weren't officially married, guys. They right. won't. We didn't do a ceremony. No, yeah. because we all officially married. It's just like yeah. the wedding ring. Yeah. You don't need. Without the wedding ring, I'm still married. Right. I I would. Uh. So there's several things you're gonna have to, uh, take into consideration because. What we're talking about here has to do with like when are you officially married right is uh, it is it at the uh point of actually becoming one flesh yeah right 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 rather than or is it the and ceremony what, what i would argue is that going off of jesus's argument against divorce i would not say that even the vows are what important are what are important um it's the work of god it you're saying vows in reflection of a work you're recognizing. You're saying, hey, it seems like God is putting us together. And so we say these vows uh, to one another. But it's like, even if you didn't say vows, I still believe that God would still hold you accountable. Because the whole purpose, really the language that's being used there for talking about married people is sexual language. And I think it's just that because of how far removed we are in this society from making sex sacred, then we have like these ideas of of uh, you know premarital sex and things like that and like casual yeah it's like i i don't know what that you know if you're 16 and you ended up um wanting to marry somebody and you know that that all of a sudden it becomes invalid i don't think the age really matters uh, but this is why I would say... I, mean, I would say maturity matters, but keep going. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, it matters to a sense. And I would say, like, it even matters to a sense of having a pastor or parents there because you want people with wisdom mm-hmm. there, right, to guide this process because this is a serious process. But whether or not it is necessary is a completely different uh, discussion. And then I would say 
if you understood covenants and you understood how sex like really displays covenants because i mean blood is being spilt there right if you look at that's a motif in pretty much all covenants actually yeah all covenants has a motif of blood and it's like that is what you're kind of putting everything on right so it's a weird covenant but when abraham makes the covenant with Eliezer, his, his mm -hmm. and he puts his hand in his thigh or whatever um i, I forget how but it's still communicated like we're putting this on my blood you know what i mean and you do that when you have sex if you guys are ideally virgins blood will be spilt and it's like we've now become one and it's, it's on our lives here like this is our life that we've kind so of then sworn. is a marriage by people who are not have not kept themselves pure until marriage right is that not considered a legitimate marriage in God's eyes? Right, and that's a great question. I, I'm not... No, I think that's a great question. And it's like... Um, I haven't settled on anything yet. Because while I do see the covenant language being displayed wonderfully in the sex act, it's like... Um, if people were having sex before they even became saved, does that really count? Uh, I was saying no, I don't think that's going to be counted against you. But what about now after you're having, you know, you're being saved? Mm. What does that all mean? And it's like, <laughs> this is why it's like, like these questions come up and we're not having the best of answers because we have strayed so far from a picture of scripture. And our, like, what benefit us so much is working towards going back to that picture. This goes back to even dating and stuff. Like, I think, obviously, ideally, it would be great to have uh, the great parents... Heritage. Yeah, like your branch. <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm being that's serious. Actually I, I, I know that's what yeah. I know that's how you feel. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, like I don't have a problem with hold on, with arranged marriages. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like you think they actually had. They actually, well, good parents actually cared about what their children had to say about the arrangements. So it wasn't all just like, yeah, oh, it's too late. I said it. I drank to it. We're done. You know, it's, it's, it wasn't always like that. But um, I think having the wisdom of your parents there, having the wisdom of just elders in your community um, is great. And I think that if we all waited till we had a ceremony and everything and had sex, mm -hmm. like we wouldn't have any of these questions, would we? We wouldn't have any of these problems, but uh, we do. And yeah. right now I don't, I don't that have is, a settled. That's, that's why this is, this, this is such a massively impactful thing to to talk about in a way that like you know you can talk about what you believe about the end times right yeah. or on, honestly like you can even talk about what you believe about the sovereignty of god mm -hmm. or infant baptism or all that kind of stuff yeah and it's like okay well what you wind up believing about marriage and divorce is going to impact the way that you think about several of your very close friends yeah so and that's oh, go ahead yeah, sorry. well what i want to say which will I don't know what it will be. But anyways, um, the, there was a second part to it that I, um, I'm just going to address because I think this is where I would use malintent or mm -hmm. a blatant ignorance is the idea that, that I already hinted at where it's like people are getting remarried and they're, they're not even, in your eyes anyways, uh, unmarried from their previous spouse correctly. Yeah. And then you still teach that to me. I, I think I've come to where I would say, like, with, with really out any, without any hesitancy, that that's just not it's not Christian. 
And I would treat that as the same as, as someone saying that being a homosexual or homosexual marriage is okay. Um, and it was rough hearing a lot of people that I respected believe that, but there's really no excuse for it. Um, because as I said, it doesn't really matter if you believe there is this exception, right? Like, let's say you believe adultery is an exception. And then you're going to tell people that if you don't meet that exception, it doesn't, it's bad, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's, it's workable. We'll work through it. And, and your marriage, this remarriage is honorable before God. That is a lie. That is a damning lie. That is, that is the same kind of lie of telling people it's okay if you're homosexual and you partake in homosexual activity and that you get married to a homosexual. It's the same kind of lie. It's, it, there's not any evidence for it. And I've seen scripture being twisted or half-truths being spoken. And it's like, one, I want to say like, either way of where you believe on this. I don't think it's like, you can never repent of it or come to God from it. And I don't expect people to just accept it right away anyways. But I would say that at the end of the day, you better be on this side because you're going to come to a world of hurt. But I especially say that to those who teach that getting remarried, like at some point it was wrong, but at some point it becomes okay. Because that's, mm -hmm. like I said, that's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I cannot see a church who teaches that uh, as Christian. And I, I, cause I don't, I believe at the end of the day, not only is this salvation, but it changes who God is, his, his identity. And it makes, um, it changes the definition of repentance and it makes God the one who repents because he's the one changing his mind about what he said. If Jesus called something adultery and you're teaching that eventually he'll say it's okay, you don't know who God is. And I'm, I'm sorry, but you don't have the right to be going up to that pulpit and preaching like you do. And I know, I know who, what I'm saying and to who I would say it to, that they can even articulate the gospel really well. But it doesn't matter to me that you can articulate the gospel really well if you cannot pass your people from as clear of a teaching as it is in Scripture. Mm. Adultery is never has never been okay. People, and I think. Well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say people have been put to death for adultery. You know, it's not. Uh, I don't know. I just, idolaters were called adulterers. You know, that's what God had um, equated, equated yeah. to. I think that we are living in the world of hurt that you were referring to. Like, we're now living in the world where sex is totally mm -hmm. separated from the idea of any commitment. Mm -hmm. And so people just, you know, just throw themselves around. They, they, see it as merely a way of getting pleasure for themselves sex becomes a pursuit that's all about the self and not about you know service of the other um and like we we are so i mean not just like culturally but even psychologically like we're so far removed from any culture that has had any idea of you know commitment with regard to those things and um i think that you know, you and I would differ as to whether we would say that a person who's wrong on this, uh, you know, has any legitimacy of being in the pulpit. But I mean, I'm, I'm with you in that it really does break my heart because what I see with, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking of 
maybe every pastor that I've ever even heard have an opinion on this. It's like what happens is you say most people are willing to draw the line at two, but I go further and I draw the line at, uh, you know, four. But then you wind up permitting like zero and one to happen. Right. It's like, oh, you know, most people are okay with divorce under these circumstances, but I actually take it a lot more seriously than that. And I would say that there's no divorce permitted unless it's, you know, let's say that this pastor goes unless it's adultery or whatever. And then a lot of times it's like you just look at their congregation and it's full of people who are literally divorced for any cause. Like there are people who would be in there. They got divorced because like, well, you know, she got really into her music career and I got really into my. I don't know, hat business. <laughs> like, uh, and so, you know, we just, we, we saw that life was taking us in two different directions and it was irreconcilable. And so, you know, we parted ways and it really wound up being better for the both of us. And now I have someone else and she has, and it's like, man, was there no, I mean, even if there was no counsel at the time, okay, what do you do as a pastor if people like that come into your church? And it's like, okay, well, you're married to a wife now is your level of commitment to her stronger than your commitment to your hat business, you know? Um, hmm. And, it, like, it's it, it has affected, like I said, it's affected the culture in a way that even people's views on sovereignty or, you know, what like, tongues, whatever other huge issues. Like, people, I mean, John MacArthur put together a whole conference, and I think, you know, rightfully so, he put together a whole conference talking about strange fire and, and you know, people who falsely claim to be under the influence of the spirit and prophesying and healing and, and, uh, making declarations of God told me this, that, and the other. Uh, and yet I'm thinking of when, when have you ever heard of any type of seminar or, uh, you know, anything be presented on like marriage purity and specifically talking to pastors that they would be intentional about this. Right. And ex and, and exercise discipline. Which that's that's a whole that could be a whole podcast on itself is like hmm. why do churches just not practice discipline? You know, they don't they don't when I grew up it's like there were times when a church member would commit some heinous act and the pastor you know, after a service and this would be on like a Sunday night, so it was more only members and the pastor would bring up their name and say, like, this is a person we need to strike their name from the role. Hmm. And for us at our church, that meant that you wouldn't take communion. Hmm. And uh, it had more actual real world effects. Um, but, yeah, church discipline is like just neglected in what is it statistically like over 90 percent of churches don't exercise discipline. Yeah. Well, that brings up the issue that I had with this whole topic to begin with which is what should be done in that situation of that particular couple that you brought up of, of, Oh, they, they just start coming to your church. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. and they did not divorce for the right reasons. And now they are remarried and they're claiming to be believers. What do you do with that? What is the solution with, with their current marriage and with their, their former original spouse that they did not properly divorce from? Okay. So let's have Eric field this one. Well, and then, uh, Let's let's probably start wrapping it up after this, if that's okay with you guys. I know this is a little bit shorter, everyone. We will wind up revisiting this. I'm I'm okay with even just continuing we, it. We next could week. save that question for the next time if you yeah, want. We'll get to that. This is Tune part one of this part of podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we came into this with the understanding this is going to be a shorter one, and uh, 
that we're gonna kind of have to do a part one part two part three four four part five part six part seven right. but uh this is anyway a and a reboot uh, and a reboot in two months we'll be like Travis, you remember when you said that as a joke but here we are part <laughs> nine <laughs> all right um yeah so let's kind of save that and we'll address that next time anything the, anybody wants to say before we're divorce cu we call it the dcu divorce cinematic universe <laughs> oh, <laughs> my gosh. and all that just a thought that I'd like to put out there to, to d- either discuss extremely quickly now, but really for next time is, you know, I think too, um, you know, personally, I don't have great offense with an exception clause. Um, but I know like for myself in my own marriage, I, there is no, there is no exception clause, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that's kind of where I sit. And so, um, I just, I think that, too many people don't necessarily go into marriage thinking like, yeah. Oh, there there death. is an exception yeah. clause in there, but I, I think uh, like, like it's back to the matter is in. like, it's like a- adultery would tear me apart and it would hurt me deeply. Mm-hmm. But I can't see my like yeah. I went into marriage with not necessarily the vows of rich or poor, you know, yeah. sick health, but of this is the person for the rest of my life like that yeah. is it nothing she does changes that yeah. yeah the things that she does can hurt me uh and it can damage our relationship you know and and i i don't know if i think people see that going into it um right. yeah i would just again briefly say this this is just kind of an overview you have a lot of different things to get into when you talk about like marriage and divorce we didn't even define marriage Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we should probably do it. But um <laughs> <laughs> This was the teaser to yeah. us actually just dissecting yeah. and defining yeah. well, other topic. trailer. Uh but it I don't think it needs to be nine parts um at all. But so I would just say like uh no. No, Eric, Eric thinks it's a one parter, don't divorce, end of story. Uh well what <laughs> no, sure, what we'll do next time, like I said, I mean I could send it out this week, um, but there's a lot of material to read and I'll and I'll just we can dissect that and see like you know, I want you guys to see what I've seen and and walk through it as well. But it, like I said, it doesn't have to be uh, too long. Also, which like I know it's a made up story about the half thing and the thing. I was like, like idiots. You, you should have talked about this before you got married. Yeah. Yeah, like idiots. Like, ah, this, but they were sixteen, dude. But I'm saying like this, like, this is so much <laughs> stupid. Like people get divorced for so yeah. many dumb reasons. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah. You guys didn't know well, this before you got get married. Divorced for dumb reasons because they get married for dumb reasons. Yeah, that's like, true too. Dude, there. But what if it was the guy who created the store Lids? You Whoa. know, what the heck are Lids? It, that's a that's a hat store. Hat store. <laughs> In malls. Yeah. What a, anyway, the epitome. Till next time. Uh, I is, am Iron Man. <laughs>